Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Rising is One podcast. We're back after a bye week. This is Dominic Kearns with my co-hosts Aaron Blau and Kyle Mackey. How are you guys? I'm doing great. You know, happy happy to be back with you guys. It was a it was a much needed bye week, I think. But you know, we're back and we're ready to talk Rising. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm still reeling a little bit from my Spurs loss. And the uh, almost complete lack of showing yesterday in the Champions League final. But I did enjoy some time with the uh, Arizona Spurs over at Fripper McGee's. And uh, some additional time at the, the something in Barley down in, in Tempe with the small goal soccer crew. And uh, shout out to all the, all the soccer fans that went out to watch this game. There was a rising event at Thirsty Lion. Liverpool supporters in downtown Phoenix at Rosen Crown. Um, and I'm sure a bunch of other places had great things going on. So if you saw the match, uh, even if you were just watching at home like me, um, pretty cool to get that soccer culture going. And Aaron, glad you had some fun with it. Yeah, it was really fantastic to be able to see so many people out. Uh, Fibber McGee's definitely was way overwhelmed. I mean, if the fire marshal had shown up, I'm pretty sure they would have uh, shut the whole thing, the whole place down. And at least 300, 350 people standing room only. I was actually sitting on the ground trying to watch. Uh, they could not get enough beers out fast enough. So uh, also big props to all the servers and all the bartenders who were out there who may have been overwhelmed by the fact that, yes, people in Phoenix actually do watch soccer and they do like soccer and they do get together to do it. So uh, love to see the support from from all those bars out there that hosted events. Yeah, and um, I mean, just so people know what was going on last week, Aaron was in Flagstaff. I was in San Francisco uh, with my fiance, so everyone was up to stuff. Kyle, what were you up to last week? I actually was out in Queen Creek for part of the weekend visiting my girlfriend's family, and then uh, I had to go in and work for part of Monday. So I was actually uh, working for part of the holiday, but just, I mean... It was just uh, between, you know, I live up in Glendale, so going out to Queen Creek is about a two-hour round trip. So it was just a, a busy weekend last week. And, Dom, we know that you're newly engaged and wish you a hearty mazel tov on that. But you know the honeymoon happens after you get married, right? Uh, not, <laughs> not beforehand. I mean, you look like you had just an awesome trip out in San Francisco. This is, this is a little bit too real. Um if anyone wants to donate money to me, I definitely don't have money for a honeymoon at this time. Um, we <laughs> we planned this trip out like back in December. I got the airfare for her birthday, but also for Christmas. Um, it was really for Christmas. What we did there was for her birthday. Um, but yeah, we the wedding is, of course, expensive. More expensive than you would think. So... We're not really sure what what we're going to do for a honeymoon. It might just be like two days in Vegas or something. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, in the Phoenix area, uh, cruiseamerica.com, if you want to become a great corporate sponsor of the Rising is One podcast, we'd ha be happy to shout out <laughs> cruiseamerica.com every five minutes for the next two years or so. <laughs> Yeah, someone, oh, someone gotta take advantage of it. Yeah, someone just help us out, you know, become our sponsor and uh we will definitely hook you up with ad reads. But um 
that's that's where we're at. Um, but we're we're back to it this week. Um, everyone's back in town. Got to see the awesome uh, comeback win over Real Monarchs, four two. And Aaron, do you want to take us through this match? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the match started out with. Uh, uh, Lubin, Dubai, and then our our backline returning. So we had our full backline: Lubin and goal, uh, Dumbuya, uh, and Dia on the on the, as our the wing backs, Farrell and Cochran as your center backs. Uh, we actually saw more of a four four three setup here. So in that mid section, uh, that I'm sorry, four four three three. We saw four three three uh, coming in with Bacaro, Lambert, and Aguinaga. Uh, coming as your midfielders and John Asante and Flemings playing up top on the bench with Wazinski, who unfortunately hasn't had any time at all. We also we also saw Bjornson from Bjornson and Ledbetter down from uh, uh, FC Tucson, Musa, Kalistri, and Spencer as well, and Austin Wheeler on 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 Amunu. I I got to get a pronunciation guide. Wheeler Amunu. Uh, with his first call-up from FC Tucson as well. Uh, Wheeler Amunu is a forward down there, and he actually saw a couple minutes of substitute time. So that that's your lineup from Coach Rich, Rick Schantz. Uh Kyle, any uh, surprises, anything that you you like here? Yeah, I mean, the 4-3-3 was definitely a bit of a surprise. And just to see, you know, Baccaro and Lambert in Aguinaga together in that midfield. I think that was a different look that we, you know, we haven't really seen much this season. Um, I, I personally thought it, it did have its moments where it worked well. Um, the one thing that concerned me at times was it seemed like Bacara was playing more of the holding defensive role than Lambert. And I mean, I think that Lambert is probably more solid in that role, but it does allow for Lambert to get forward and have more influence in the attack. So it was it was a very different lineup from what we're used to seeing. And against a team like Monarchs, you know, it was a bit concerning, but I think ultimately it ended up paying dividends. Yeah, and we did see in in on many occasions we saw either Bacero, Lambert, or Aguinaga drop back to be playing more of a defensive midfielder role, and all three of them had time doing. Depending on what the play uh, was showing, uh, Dom, any comments on on the uh, roster there? I think this is basically our first team lineup for moving forward the rest of this season. I mean, you have Flemings and Asante on the wings, John up top, Bacero in the middle, uh, Lambert, Aguinaga. You know, maybe if Johnson gets healthy later on, he gets into one of those midfield spots. Maybe you'll see Vega get a spot start but this really looks like our solid starting 11 and then Lubin and Ned Dia Dumboya as the backs Cochran Farrell in the middle it looks like this is our pretty solid first choice lineup here to a T and of and of course hindsight is a little bit of 2020 here uh, because it looks like our starting lineup but I but around the 10 minute mark uh, the question was what back line is this? Is this the Phoenix Rising back line that we've had for the past while that's been great with clean sheets or or not? Because we had a, a Marcelo Silva header that he picked up right in the middle of the box. I mean, he was in the center of three Phoenix Rising players, was able to pick out a cross from, I don't know, almost midfield uh, and, and put the ball in the back of the net for an opening goal. 
for, for the Real Monarchs. Dom, what are you thinking as you see this real serious defensive lapse happen? I mean, I didn't see the match live, so I had to, you know, see the highlights and then get clips of it later on. But both the goals we conceded were pretty sloppy, especially this one. You know, it harkens back to the early season where we were letting goals in uh, off of set pieces and guys were just being unmarked. And that's pretty much what happened here. You're thinking this is the worst case scenario to go behind after 10 minutes on the road in a place you've never won. And, I mean, of course that's frustrating. And then 15 minutes later, we give up another one. So I don't know if you want to talk about that one, but of, of course it's frustrating. Yeah, and essentially on the play, ball bounces right in front, uh, right in front of maybe the corner of the six-yard mark. Uh, Dumbuya is actually in the center of things. Uh, Cochran may have had a play on it, but didn't even try to put his leg up. Dumbuya was playing from behind. Uh, just kind of lousy. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, in the, uh, what, the 25th minute here, uh, it all happens all over again. So we have another set play. Um, or uh, I'm sorry, was that? Uh, another set play where coming out of the corner, we're able to, to get the ball away from the corner. The ball bounces out to, to a defender who's able to then serve another ball across the middle uh, from the left-hand side, puts it more toward the right-hand side of the box, and now we have a goal from Douglas Martinez on, on an, a Ricardo Avila assist. Kyle, we're down 2 nothing at 24 minutes away in Utah where we haven't won and haven't had a lot of success. What are you feeling now? I mean, just flashbacks of last season to to our loss up in up in Salt Lake. I mean, it it, it just it was so frustrating. And like you said earlier, it, everyone was questioning who is this back line? How are they being so suspect right now? Because I mean, as we said, those two goals they were just very soft goals, goals that you know rising. They're better than that. They're not goals that we should be letting in. Um, I mean, Silva's goal, especially, as you said, three players surrounding him. That was just it was just an off play. It looked like everyone was sleeping there. And, and you know, it really was. I remember vividly still. I mean, we're recording this 10 days after that match. But I was I was so upset. I was just cursing the TV. You know, that they had ruined my Saturday night by what? I think it was like seven. 59 probably not even eight o'clock yet last saturday it seemed like my whole night had been ruined because to be down two nil so early it just seemed like all hope was lost the one thing that saves us though is this is not the monarchs of years past their defense has consistently been leaky this season so that's the one thought i think in the back of your mind again i didn't see this live but this is the one thought in the back of your mind you know, if you've been following the USL this year, you're thinking, okay, Monarchs has given up goals in, in bunches this season. This is not over yet. If we can pull at least one back by halftime, we definitely still have a chance here. This is not a lockdown defense. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, here we're able to see, we're, we're used to seeing Aguinaga playing in, the, playing in the middle and being sort of like that, that midfield maestro uh, doing a lot of distribution. Here we see him uh, in the the uh, uh, 31st minute. We see him coming forward 
really playing almost like uh, like a forward role, uh, make a heck of a play on the baseline, uh, which I don't know what the defender was thinking. Def- uh, the defender closest to him decides to peel off away from the goal. John notices, sprints toward the goal, and here we have one of those diving poke saves that we're so used to seeing from last season that Chris Cortez made. And again, we see Adam John be able to stick a foot in and get one back very, very quickly after going down the 2 to nothing. Uh, Dom, what are your thoughts? Uh, it... I'm sorry, I might have lost you there for a second. Uh, I was just going to say that this play was made by Jose Aguinaga uh, to keep the ball on the touchline, to dribble it in, and then just to play a ball in a tight window where Adam John can get a toe poke on it. That was such great maturity. But really, you see the growth of Aguinaga from the start of the season until now. If you saw his tape from past seasons, you knew he was capable of this. Now you're starting to see it in a rising kid. And this was the start of a great night for him. He ended up making USL Team of the Week off this performance. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you, Dominic. And I, I think, for me, this was, as you said, what uh, what we can expect from Aguinaga. And, and I've always said it. I mean, he just does not give the ball away when he, when he you know, is able to possess it. And and just to see what he does there on the end line, be able to just so smartly play that into John. And then John, I mean, it's just been his year. You know, if we're giving him service, he's putting the ball in the back of the net. And he did just that. And that, I mean, that, that spark right there, as you said, it, it definitely gave us, I think, the team especially, but the fans some hope in the match, you know, that, you know, we're still in this. There's still a lot of football left to be played. You know, we didn't start off great, but this is the turnaround and this is where it started. And so many times early in the season, we just didn't have luck with us. Uh, we were hitting, hitting posts, we're hitting the, the crossbar, we just don't have the luck. But in the 35th minute, off of an aggressive play by John Baccaro, uh, he puts pressure on the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper, trying to clear it out of his six box, puts it off of Baccaro's butt. The ball has tons of English spins up in the air, and finds itself in the back of the net. I mean, this was a goal of the week and not or a, a, a Sports Center top 10 and not Sports Center top 10 wrapped up all in one. Uh, I wish I would have seen it live. I was still coming back uh, from, from dinner at that point, but I've watched this recording and I've shown it to, to a dozen people, and I just absolutely love what John Becker was able to do with it with his backside here. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of analysis you can do other than saying, hey, hustle. the guy was hustling, putting the ball forward, uh, uh, pushing his body forward, putting pressure on. Uh, but, you know, that that's what we need. We have to make our own luck just a bit. I, Dominic, what say you? I will say this. This is just straight up not top 10 for Andrew Putna, the Monarchs keeper. I mean, it is good hustle by Vicaro. It was good the way he turned so that he uh, made the keeper have to play the ball over him and he, he got it with his butt but this is terrible goalkeeping all you have to do is take a touch to get around him and then play the ball or play the ball somewhere different even though Baccaro gets a touch on it and the ball does have English a professional goalkeeper needs to at the minimum tip that ball 
over the post for a corner kick. I don't know what he was thinking trying to... Uh, He's, it looked like he was trying to push the ball out to the side there. Just knock it back over the bar like uh, Lubin and Carl do all the time. You know, just play it safe, tip it over um, backwards. So I don't know what he was doing there, but it was a miserable failure. Uh, but a great goal for us. I mean, that's now we're on level terms. We still have all this time to go and all the momentum's on our side. And the traveling support was in raptures at this point. Shout out to them for making the arena sound like our home arena at times. Including Ed Waller, our Fireboard Soccer writer, who uh, wrote a really nice piece fairly recently about John Beccaro. Uh We're going to hopefully be able to continue some of these more in-depth player profiles on FirebirdSoccer.net. And if you have any input on who you'd like to see net, next, make sure you uh, tweet us at FirebirdSite or at RisingPod. Moving on, uh, as, right before we head into uh, to the end of the first half, we do see uh, Joey Farrell pick up a yellow card, as well as Ricardo Avila. Um, Monarchs have used their first substitution at the half, which was kind of interesting, with Justin Portillo coming in uh, for Eric Holt. Um, from then, I felt because that's when this is when I really started watching. I felt that we were in control this whole time. Uh, coming all the way up here, Phoenix Rising had captured the momentum uh, after all of this, and we were in control. And that's what we saw in the 60th minute. We're able to see uh, Flemings with a really solid run uh, coming up the left-hand side. Plays off, uh, when he played it off to, to Don in the middle, or I'm sorry, when he played it off to Aguinaga in the middle, uh, I was like, why is he doing that? Because there were... Because he had some space and Aguinaga was kind of in the middle of three defenders. But Aguinaga makes a just a, a gorgeous little touch and is able to put the ball back to uh, Fleming's on his right foot. And Fleming's able to put the ball in the right-hand side of the net for uh, for a just a really, really solid goal. Uh, put Phoenix rising up ahead, 3-2, to two, and continues to move the momentum in our direction. Kyle, what was your thoughts here? I mean, just a great... You know, great chemistry I think we're seeing between Flemings and Aguinaga right there. Um, I agree with you. You know, when when I was watching it in real time, you know, I want Flemings to to take that ball on and take the shot, but I think Flemings saw what what we didn't in that. You know, if he lays that ball off to Aguinaga and is able to to remove a defender even farther from Flemings and then get closer to the goal, it just increases his percentage of the shot going in. And I mean, it, it was just textbook you know beautiful soccer and and i mean really this this right there that assist is for me what earned aguinaga that team of the week you know um issuing and i think i think that for flemings to score it's something that it's it's another just big goal for him to keep you know keep the goals coming from him and, and just to get the distribution amongst this team we're seeing goals from all over the field now and you know, to have three goals from three different players, I think this really spoke that Rising was, you know, they're getting their momentum back, like you said, and they were definitely in this match. And uh, at this point, they they had to be the favorite. And it was perfectly reminiscent of of, of the goal that that he scored in the prior match. Um, he did lay out the, lay the ball off to John. I, I thought that it was John beforehand because I keep confusing these two plays. But, you know, he pushes up the left-hand side, is able to, <clears throat> pull the ball over to the middle, 
Uh, a quick one touch gives him a little bit of space, and he puts the ball in the back of the net. Really fantastic goal by Flemings. Uh, Dom, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to give two shout-outs to things that happened, like the plays before the play that allow this opportunity to start up. First off, we were talking about Flemings with the goal and with the 1-2 to set up the goal, but it was him pressing when Monarchs had the ball that led to them giving the ball away to start this whole thing. When he presses, he's on the right half of the field, so he, he gets a great press to force a turnover, and then he moves pretty far over to the left side of the pitch to get a beautiful pass from Amadou Dia. Dia did not hesitate here. He gets the ball in space. He knows exactly what he's going to do, and he just plays a sublime ball for Flemings to give him time, to give him that space. That, you know, the most beautiful part of that goal to me is actually that ball from Dia into space to set Flemings up because the the pace on that ball, the placement of that ball are absolutely beautiful. I'm talking like European stuff. Like that's just perfect, exquisite ball of idea to start that whole thing. Yeah, um, you're right on. I, I remember I do remember that uh now that you know now that you mentioned it, I mean that would what we're seeing from the back line in terms of their passing really started off with Cochrane, but now it seems like a, a contest of of how of how well our back line can pass up to our forward line. Uh, and Dia did just just did a magnificent job there. And and just one last very quick thing, you know, other than the second goal where their keeper just has a field day, the build up on our three other goals was pretty phenomenal. I mean, we'll get to the fourth one in a second, but. These are very aesthetically pleasing build-ups and then finishes. So the, the passing, the emphasis on that in the preseason is starting to pay off right now. Yeah, no, I, that's that's a great point, Dominic. And it, it, it's, I was going to say, just this beautiful style of play. It's what Rick Schantz talked about. It's what, you know, he always said that he wanted for this club. And I think, you know, this match was just a perfect picture of exactly what that looks like. And, and the, so the final goal of the night starts once again with Dia. Uh, it occurs in the 80, 81st minute. Uh, starts again with Dia on a throw. Makes a long throw to Flemings. Flemings plays the ball off. Uh, ends up on the far, going from the far left-hand side of the pitch on the throw-in to the far right-hand side of the pitch to Asante. I don't know if this was lazy defending or or what, what the deal is. But there, there was too many uh, white shirts for, for the Monarchs to cover as they're coming up. But Asante almost casually just dribbles the ball up uh, to the to the point of the 18-yard box um, on the uh, right-hand side as you're looking at their goal. And, and, I mean, surprised the hell out of me. He just winds up, takes a shot, places in the back left of, of, of the net, uh, past the keeper, and I was taken aback. Uh, definitely took... Definitely uh, was a was a pretty ballsy shot. Uh, really, one thing about the shot in itself is it had a ton of topspin. Uh, it just dipped real, real hard. And we've seen so many shots this season, as well as just in general, where they get o- get under it and the ball skies. And this one just went up, went down, and uh, the goalkeeper went whoop. What happened? And now they're down for four to two. And it is game over. This is like when you're uh, playing small goal and you 
you're defending and there's a guy that you wouldn't you wouldn't think he's going to score it from that range. It's like, all right, bet. I'll let you shoot it. It'll probably just go out for a goal kick. But they didn't do their homework because Solomon Asante is not the guy that you give that space to. He is not the guy that you're like, bet. Good luck with that. You know, it's just ridiculous to give him that much time. And these are the shots that he was making regularly last year. You know, early this season, he was missing a couple of those chances. But you give a guy of Solomon's quality that amount of space and that lazy of defending, and he's going to make you pay. So, I mean, great finish, he, but he, he did not scout this guy. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. He just had space for days there. That That's the way it goes. Um, so, you know, th- that that's where we end up. You know, the the match finishes up 4-2. to two. Phoenix Rising uh, with 53, about 53% of possession. Um, really just a, a very solid game start to finish. And my biggest takeaway from this match was, oh, now we have a team that's mentally prepared for the rest of the season. They go down 2 nothing in a hostile atmosphere, a place where we don't play well at a higher altitude. And we come up with four goals on eight shots. Uh Great accuracy, really good passing. Uh, we just showed some real tenacity in this match. Uh, Kyle, uh, what was your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I mean, tenacity is the, the right word. I mean, we just we just showed that we're not going to let, you know, being down 2-0 on the road phase us. And, and to, to have it come at this time, right after the Open Cup, I think it was, you know, great timing for us. A really big, uplifting win and, you know, it, it, for the only bummer I'll say is that it was going into a bye week. I think we really could have rode the momentum. But I, I still think that, you know, having a dollar beer night coming up, it's it's going to be great for us. And, I mean, I really, really think this win, like we talked about, is probably our biggest statement win of this season thus far. Because, they're, you know, they're, uh, there's been a lot of times where Risings come back to equalize. But to come back and, you know, just definitively take control of the lead, and Solomon Asante to provide the dagger at the end. I mean, this just showed that this rising team is, uh, you know, if you give us a chance to get back in the match, we're going to take it and we can take the match over. And we were really showing uh, the, the the style of play, I think, that, that Coach Chance uh, wants to see. 442 total passes. My biggest area of concern as I'm looking at some of the, the ending statistics is we did a lot of 30 crosses. 30 crosses, a lot of crosses. That's a lot of opportunity for the other team. Uh, to be able to put a head or a foot or, 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 or something in the box. Uh, but, you know, overall, they still finished 12 shots, four on target. So they had a lot of opportunity there, but just uh, we just they just did not capitalize in any way, shape, or form. Dom, what's your biggest takeaway? I think I'm actually less concerned about the crosses than you because if our defenders are handling them appropriately, there isn't much that comes of it. I mean, you look at there are games like that where a team will cross for days, but it's because you're not giving them anything in the middle of the pitch, and so you have to cross. Look at the first 75 minutes of Spurs-Liverpool. That's all Spurs were doing because Liverpool wasn't giving them anything in the middle. So, yes, this game we messed up. We did not mark well on one cross, but, you know, in general, I think we handled things well, and I think the pairing of Farrell and Cochrane usually handles cross as well, so I'm not too concerned by that. I think the most encouraging thing is we're getting that passing. 
we are controlling possession, which is not something we saw in years past, especially on the road. You know, not just to be able to win on the road and grind out a 1-0 or, you know, get a 1-1 draw in a match like that, but to play beautiful football, to control the possession, and score four goals after coming from behind. I mean, that's that's showing that Schantz's vision is now happening on the field. And it's super encouraging because after Tulsa, we have some big matches coming up. So we're going to need more performances like this. So a couple of the small things to note. Uh, John Becker did come out in the 68th minute in favor of, of uh, Joey Coley's victory. Uh, Musa saw some time in favor of Aguinaga, putting more of a defensive spin on at that 82nd minute. And uh, Wheeler um, Amienu uh, also came on in the, in the 90th minute for uh, for Flemings. Uh, one other item of note, Adam John was getting himself into some disciplinary trouble. He had picked up four yellow cards in prior matches. But due to good behavior uh, as the res- in this match with no additional cards, he now gets a good behavior yellow card taken off. So now he sits with three yellows where he's two two away uh, from having to miss a game. So that's a nice, a nice little takeaway from there. And just for some clarification there, the good behavior takeaway is when didn't he go like five matches without picking up any cards? Is that what it took for him to lose the card? I believe it's five matches. That's right. And I think that that can only happen once. Um, and then it gets just gets tagged back in or something like that. So uh, good to see some proper discipline uh, by, by John to be able to get that taken away. And uh, no no Phoenix Rising players in the danger zone anymore. Yeah, and that's going to be huge, I think, for us. Like Dominic said, we have a really big run of games coming, and, you know, all these guys have seen a lot of minutes for us. So to keep them away from those, uh, you know, accumulation penalties would be massive. Any any more thoughts or comments about uh, Phoenix Rising versus Real Monarchs? All right, our Rising Pod listeners, we're just going to take a quick break before we go into a preview of Phoenix Rising versus Tulsa. Dollar Beer Night coming up and more excitement after this short break. This is Aaron Blau from FirebirdSoccer.net with your Firebird Soccer calendar for the week of June 3rd, 2019. Coming up next in our show, Dom and Kyle preview the Friday, June 7th match for Phoenix Rising against the Tulsa Roughnecks, bringing Dollar Beer Night to Casino Arizona Field. Looks to continue its streak of four straight victories on Saturday, June 8th at 5.30 at South Mountain Community College as it faces Intercity FC. Again, that match will take place at 5.30 at South Mountain Community College on Saturday. Go Sporting! FC Arizona added another win to its tally with a 3-1 victory over the Oxnard Guerreros last weekend. The team remains in third place in the West Region Conference of the NPSL in, with a great shot at making the playoffs. The team only has three games left, two home matches, one on Friday, June 14th, and again on Saturday, June 29th. The Women's Premier Soccer League has kicked off its 2019 season as well. Arizona features three squads this year, Phoenix Del Sol, FC Arizona, and FC Tucson Women. The next Phoenix area match will take place on Friday, June 7th with 
FC Arizona facing Phoenix Del Sol at 7 p.m. Finally, your FC Tucson men will take on the Richmond Kickers on Saturday, June 8th at 7.30 p.m. at Kino North Stadium. That match will be available, as always, on ESPN+. This has been your Firebird Soccer Calendar. We hope you get out to a match this weekend, and as always, support local soccer. Now, back to Dom and Kyle for a preview of Phoenix Rising versus Tulsa Rockets. All right, and after that break, it's time to talk about our next match. It's another dollar beer night, and it comes against Tulsa Roughnecks. Tulsa Roughnecks are just outside the top 10 in the Western Conference. They are sitting on 17 points with a Thanos-esque four wins, five draws, and four losses. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Tulsa's been an interesting team. They were one of the hottest teams early in the season. But lately, they have not been picking up wins, and they're actually on a pretty long winless streak. Um, I take that back. They had a win over Los... Well, no, I think they are on a pretty long winless streak. They... Yeah, yeah. I show five without a win. They haven't won a game since April 24th. Wow. So, this is definitely a match that we should win. You know, Tulsa, in their most recent match had a 2-0 lead in the 60th minute. They give up three goals in the last 30 to Austin Bold, and it's Chris Tierpak who has a hat trick. You know, good for him, but that's a demoralizing loss for Tulsa. You figure they're going to come out, you know, pretty ready to go against us this week. As far as guys that are household names for them, um, they don't have a lot. <laughs> If we're going to be totally off, honest, um, Altim- Chris and Altamirano um, is a player that was on the Honduran uh, national team, the Honduran youth national team. Um, so he plays midfield for them. He's a guy that's involved in the attack a little bit. It's crazy that the biggest thing with Tulsa this season is what happened off the pitch with the. I don't remember the guy's name, but it was it was the guy that used the N-word uh, in that Oklahoma derby, and mm-hmm. he's out of the league. So, you know, good on Tulsa for taking a stand there. But, you know, as far as guys that actually make a difference on the pitch, John Silva is involved in the attack. Uh, they had that defender that was putting in all sorts of goals, but I don't know if he's even getting starts for them right now. Oh, AJ Ajakwa is on the bench for Tulsa. That's that's an interesting note, former rising player. But, yeah, they just have kind of been struggling lately. Yeah, yeah, they, they really have. And, and like you said, they got off to a hot start. And it, it just seems like, you know, they've, they've just hit a lull. And I think, you know, the one thing I will say about them losing to a second-half hat trick last night is I think – it could bode well for Rising if we're able to get off to a hot start. Um, the atmosphere is already going to be lit, just being Dollar Beer Night. That's you know a given. But I think that if if Rising's able to get a goal in the first fifteen and maybe make it two nil at half, I think it really puts us in position to cruise because this team they're probably lacking a lot of uh, you know will right now to go forward. Being um, you know. <laughs> 
their last five. They're o two and three in their last five, and and their away form isn't great either. They're one three and two on the road. So I think that you know we really do have a good opportunity here. We talked about this is you know going to be one of the easier opponents that we have in our upcoming schedule so for me i think we really need to take advantage of the fact that this team doesn't maybe have the the big names and the superstars that some of the other teams in the western conference are blessed with um kyle what's your score prediction for this match (sighs) see this is this is hard because we go back in dollar beer night history and i believe the first one was tulsa roughnecks and it was that 4-3 thriller i don't think that it's going to be that many goals that uh that close of a match really if i if i have to pick a score line i'm going to go 3-1 i think i think we are able to get an early goal and then uh maybe tulsa levels it up at 1-1 and then we get two goals to finish out the night i i do think that rising is able to take this match handily i think that there may be some nervy moments but i just I really think our form's on the up and, you know, Tulsa's form's on the down. And I think all our year nights, uh, we got to be able to help out the team a little bit. And I really think that we're able to go out there and get this win. Um, I'm going to say, I think we get a clean sheet. I think we get a 2-0, a tidy 2-0 okay. win. We probably will not have Kevon Lambert for this match. This is worth noting as he was called up for Jamaica for their friendly against the U.S. national team. That match will be Wednesday June 5th, I believe 5.30 local start time, and you can see that on FS1. So Kavon Lambert will probably get playing time in that match. I believe he is a fringe starting candidate for Jamaica. He might start some matches, probably not all. And so those guys definitely get a look in those friendly matches. I imagine that Lambert, if he's not starting that, he'll see at least 30 minutes a run because Kavon started their most recent friendly in Costa Rica. Flemings is not called for this match so he should be with us he should be getting the start for us which is big with the injury to Jason Johnson so you know a lot of people concerned about losing Lambert and Junior Flemings it looks like we are only going to lose Lambert you know I'm knocking on wood as we speak because they still haven't made their final 23 man roster for the gold cup yet but if, if Flemings isn't in the lineup for that friendly I don't think He'll be in the final 23-man roster for Gold Cup. Lambert, you have to assume, will be. Just an interesting note, uh, we will be without Lambert for some time. Uh, But I I still like us to get a 2-0 win here. Just a tidy match. Tulsa might have some resistance early on, but I think we'll break through. And You're right, they've been struggling away. And and I mean, I would would be thrilled with a 2-0 either way. I think... I think this is a great opportunity. And, and just to touch on, you know, Lambert being gone, I think, you know, that does hurt us. But I think that we're we're pretty solid in, you know, that we have James Moose to, to come in for Lambert. And really from what I've seen from Moose this year, you know, he, he's just continued the great form he's had last season. And, and now he can score from distance too. So I really think that, you know, Flemings is a player, I think, who's maybe a little less replaceable whereas i think with musa we can you know fill in that void that lambert will be leaving when he does most likely go to the gold cup so i, I think it this is the right time for lambert to leave you know if, if he does end up leaving for a month or two but i i mean i really think that you know 
regardless, this team, we've always had the next man up mentality. And this is just one of those situations where we can fill in that gap and, you know, we shouldn't miss a beat. I think it'll be a good opportunity for James Musa as well to get a lot of playing time. I think he's definitely starter quality and, you know, you'll get to see it over these next few matches. So yeah, I think I, I agree. Yeah. Anything else to add about Tulsa? No, no. I think I think you know this is we're probably you know right in the right period to play Tulsa. We talked about they started the season you know up near the top of the table. So to have them where they are right now and not in good form, I think this is you know a good opportunity for Rising, and uh, we should expect to see a fun match. For sure, um, should be a win. Should be pretty cool. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and after we come back, we will have a couple team news stories, and then we'll get to USL Western Conference scores. The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal. Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising's One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items, just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. And we're back. Um, Before we go to Western Conference scores, a couple talking points. One huge talking point was something that is not technically rising related, but something that could be rising related. And it comes out of Las Vegas, where it was announced this week that they are going to put it up to a city council vote to, you know, finance an indoor stadium on the Cashman Field site that would potentially host an MLL an MLS team. What were your thoughts on this news? A lot of rising fans had very strong opinions about it. I have some opinions about it. Do you think this matters? What's your take? Um, well, I think that, you know, the odds of this happening, I would have to say, look pretty good when you just look at Vegas as a sports city over the past couple seasons. You know, they've really seemed to taken off with the with the Knights and the NHL. They've had, you know, great support and it it looks like the Raiders are gonna get that same type of support when, you know, they uh, end up coming to Vegas. So I, I kinda am not too surprised by this. I know MLS has wanted to get a foothold in Vegas for a while and, and with, you know, sports gambling and everything that it's becoming now here in the US, I think that, you know, this is an opportunity that they'll definitely be interested in. I think an indoor stadium would probably, you know, Vegas is still a warm place. It's not as hot as Phoenix, but they do get 100-degree temperatures, you know, during what the MLS season would be. So an indoor stadium would solve that. Um, And I I, honestly, I I think that this, 
in a weird way could even help Phoenix's odds if Vegas were to get in or Phoenix were to get in, it helps Vegas's because MLS loves regional rivalry rivalries. They love pushing those regional rivalries. So, I mean, there wouldn't be a closer one, I think, than Vegas, Phoenix, and the Southwest. So I really could see this happening. Um, it's really just going to be interesting to see, you know, how these next couple spots go out and where MLS is going to stop, you know, league expansion. It seems like right now they could go to 40 teams if they really wanted to. So it's 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 really it's a bummer to see that other teams are getting up to Rising's level, but I still got to say, I think Rising's a favorite, just our longevity of our bid. We're finally seeing teams like Sacramento, who's had a bid forever, get the respect that they deserve. So I think, you know, it'll come with time, but I think this does, you know, push for the fact that soccer is growing in the Southwest and Vegas could become a real contender. Yeah, I, I think that it's, I'm with you, this could potentially help us. If Vegas and Phoenix are kind of like a combo, where yeah, you're looking at them as two teams in an area coming in to create a regional rivalry, as you were talking about, MLS enjoys those. However, there is some concern because suppose that you know Garver loves Vegas, they get in at 30, and then he's like, all right, now we got St. Louis, now we got Sacramento, now we got Vegas let's turn our eyes back to the east and look at Indianapolis or look at North Carolina or even out west, let's look at San Diego. If Vegas gets picked and we aren't coming in right afterwards, then I think there's a cause for concern. My gut says that two years down the road, one year down the road, Garber will say, look, we're going to expand this thing to 32 teams and... Vegas and Phoenix might be announced simultaneously or close to simultaneously. Um, It would be really frustrating if Vegas got in before us, but I think Vegas is a good MLS market. I think they would support the team, even though they play pretty mediocre football up there, they still have decent attendance numbers. You know, say what you will about their supporters, say what you will about all the uh, foam parties and llamas and antics that get people to the stadium but they have decent numbers. So, you know, it'll be something to watch. There will be more news on it this week, so we'll keep you posted with that. You know, maybe a topic for another day, but does Garber feel the, uh, you know, some of the animosity towards him from Phoenix? And maybe that's a turnoff compared to other places. Or do you think he doesn't even care enough? Or notice? I I don't think he cares. I, I don't think that is even on Don Garber's radar. I think, yeah, I don't think he gives a rat's ass about any of that. I think, I think, I mean, MLS is a business. I mean, it, when it comes down to it, it's dollars and cents. And like we said, Vegas is a very attractive market when it comes to that. The, you know, the current Vegas team, we all love to get on them for being a bit of a farce, but they do. They have great ends regardless of that. And I think, you know, this Eric Winalda signing too could be another attractive part of the Vegas franchise if they're able to, you know, lock Winalda up for a few seasons. You know, I, I I do think that, you know, this, me, I think that it helps Phoenix chances just because I think the regional rivalry is so big in MLS. But like you said, if, if you know, Vegas ends up taking that spot of Phoenix, it, it's, you know, very possible that, you know, we're left – you know, just standing here wondering what happened and, and, you know, what happened to this wonderful bid that we had put together. And and that's the one reason that for me, 
as time goes on, the less news we hear, it does come concerning but i also have to feel that this ownership group is just keeping their lips sealed till everything's you know signed sealed delivered and done um hopefully that is the case because it, it the more that time goes on it really just leaves room for other franchises like vegas to come in and you know put in that last minute bid like nashville did i'm also curious with the gold cup coming up and phoenix hosting the semi-final for yep. the gold cup you know will garber be looking at those attendance numbers Will that have any sway? You know, there was a very low attendance number for the U.S. men's national team earlier this year, but to be fair, that was a C squad playing at University of Phoenix Stadium on a on the same weekend as a huge WWE event in downtown Phoenix on the same weekend as the Final Four. There was a lot going on that weekend, so it was an awful weekend for U.S. men's national team to go up against. Um you know, well, and, and, and bad I mean, you too. can argue that that here in Phoenix, I mean, we're just we're not just a U.S. national team market. And when you look when you look at the Gold Cup and how it's set up, it's looking like Mexico makes the semifinal. They will likely be playing here in Glendale. And and you have to say that you know the support for Mexico is probably greater than for the U.S. men's national team here in Arizona right now, just because there's so many. El Tree fans, and and I mean, I have nothing against them as a as a country. I think they're a very fun, entertaining country to watch. And you know, if if their fans fill up the stadium and help us get MLS, I'm all for it. And I think it helps breed the culture here. So, I think that's another thing that you know that USA match didn't get the numbers, but I think that this semifinal it definitely has the potential to to you know raise some eyebrows with the amount of people they could get in the stadium. And I would just implore if anyone related to Garber or anyone in MLS is listening the Gold Cup semifinal in Glendale I believe is July 3rd no 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 that's that's in Nashville ours is going to be July 2nd I so, think it's yeah the 2nd yeah so that's that's a Tuesday we play a home match on the 29th which is Saturday so it's only three days beforehand you know why not get out to a rising match see what our club has to offer and maybe that's what happens. Maybe an MLS representative goes to our match that weekend, um, sees what we have to offer, then sticks around for the Gold Cup, and then reports back to Garber. Maybe that's how things go. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if any news breaks, if there's any press releases shortly after you know, the Gold Cup comes to Phoenix. But you know, that's something to keep our eyes on. And since we're on the topic of MLS, this is something we haven't discussed much, but... Last year, we had a few contributing players, and two in particular, Saad Abdul Salam and Tristan Blackman, who were crucial in us winning the Western Conference, getting to the USL Cup. This year, they both got MLS contracts, and you know, with recent success of Tristan Blackman, it's worth looking at these guys, looking at how they're doing, and you know, asking the question, does Phoenix become that much more of a desirable uh, place for MLS teams? To send their guys down because now Saad Abdul Salam has played in three matches with Seattle. Uh, I think two of those were starts. I know with Blackman, he's been in three matches. He's had starts the last two weeks and he scored his first MLS goal uh, a, a week and a half ago off a corner kick and across from Carlos Vela. So he's starting to be pretty entrenched there as a starter. This is now two consecutive weeks where he's an influential player. 
he made MLS Team of the Week after scoring that goal. And then he's in again with a big win over Portland Timbers. So, you know, you see the successes of these guys. It's kind of a two-part question. One, will John Baccaro use his stint here to make a bigger difference at the MLS level next year? And part two, do teams look at the success of these guys and say, hey, maybe we want to send our guys there, give them a chance to get some run, and they can come back and be difference makers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, to, to answer your first question, I think Baccaro... I think he's absolutely started to show what he's capable of, and especially at this level. I mean, he's he's came in and basically become our number 10. And, um, I mean, I think that he's done a great job of it, and I, I really like what I've seen from him thus far. I think, you know, Toronto's one of those teams that a couple years ago, to see someone in his position get into the team, you would think it just wasn't going to happen. But I think right now there's, you know, a great opportunity that maybe they do see him making some noise in the second division and yeah he you know is able to be offered a, a full mls contract next season i mean I, I think time will tell um from what he's shown so far i definitely think that there's the potential there you know he's he's just become such a huge role huge part of our team of our midfield so i really i really do like what i've seen from Bacaro and i i do think that phoenix has to be an attractive, you know, loan club when you're looking at it as far as from MLS team's perspective. You know, we're really trying everything we can to be a first division side in the second division. We're trying to, you know, be as top class as we can be. And I think that, you know, other clubs at MLS level will see that. And, you know, they may be more comfortable sending their guys here knowing that we have that professional atmosphere and that, you know, our coaches are really, you know, they're really wise guys and they're, and they're you know, just – I think I think that we're just showing so much about how to operate as a club, and you know, it's it's one of those things that I think MLS clubs in the past, their players weren't getting the minutes they wanted, you know, and you could even say that about Logan Dula with us and him being loaned back out from FC Cincinnati. They want to see their guys getting minutes, and Phoenix has been, you know, a club that's done that with the big name players that we've been loaned in from MLS, and to see them progress and you know get up to those top levels in MLS, and just Tristan Blackman making Team of the Week. It's I think it's a testament to Phoenix and that we're able to develop these young players that we're getting in. We weren't, you know, known for that in the past. We were the, the retirement club almost of USL. We were getting all these, you know, old legends in the twilight of their career. But now we've really seen that Rick Schantz and his coaching staff are able to take some of these young players and help them improve. And I, I just, I think that MLS clubs have to think that that's an advantage if they're going to loan their guys out, that they really can develop and become stars for their teams in the future at, in Phoenix. That's a great point about Phoenix going from a club where, you know, the focus was on the the splashy names, but the older guys, the, you know, Peter Ramages, Omar Bravos, even Didier Drogba of the world. Sean Wright Phillips. I yeah. mean, there was just a countless players, it seemed like. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with that approach, but I think now we're looking towards the future, and that's going to be better for us. Right. And, and one other note, too, Chef Brewer Jr., has made two appearances with LAFC this year. He only had three all of last season, so he's probably going to eclipse that number. And again, you know, his time in Phoenix has helped him become a bigger part of the squad there. So, you know, do we see more of that either later this year or 
moving forward into next year and beyond. I mean, it it remains to be seen, but it's definitely cool to look at some of our guys, guys that have played for us before, and see that they're doing things at MLS. So shout out Tristan Blackman, Sado Dual Salam, Shafru Jr., and uh, you know possibly, hopefully, Bicaro next year. So. Um, yeah, but- no, it, it's it's great to see. I, I agree with you completely. And I, I what another thing for me that's cool is is you have these MLS players that can talk about Phoenix Rising and the good experience they had there and how it helped them grow and and that may make you know current MLS players look at Rising as you know a good opportunity for them even if it's not first division or even young players look at Rising as a top club they want to go to to develop. I think I think we're just getting that reputation and it, I think it's just it's something that should continue to grow and it's it's going to be huge for us in the long term for sure well we'll wrap this thing up with usl western conference scores um aaron's son eli is going to do the standings for us which is always fun um so we'll just get into scores and then wrap this thing up with final thoughts you know the scores in usl recently have been pretty kind to phoenix rising Despite having a bye week, we still are in third place in the Western Conference. Granted, it's a four-way tie, but we have the best goal differential. Um, And we'll get into some of the scores that have allowed us to keep that third place spot. So we'll start it out with the matches in the midweek. A couple matches in the midweek. You know, even going back to last Sunday, because we we won't go through all the matches from the week before this past week, but... um, you know, Fresno had great opportunities to pick up points, and they absolutely wasted them. You know, first they get a 3-3 draw at Tacoma, and I think they conceded a late equalizer in that match. Yeah, Justin Dillon ties it. I think they it. did. Justin Dillon ties it in the 90th minute there. So big wasted opportunity for Fresno there. Then they lose at Colorado Springs 1-0 on Saturday. Um you know, really, really rough week for them. And that's huge because they had an opportunity to leapfrog us and Timbers to get into second place. You would have expected them to do that with those two fixtures, but they only get one point from those matches, which hugely helps us. In the midweek, Timbers 2 defeats Real Monarchs. Monarchs go ahead in this match, and for the second straight week, they blow a lead. Dyron Asperilla scores... It looks like my dogs are barking. Um, but then the winner comes from Mujadama in the 70th minute. Timbers 2 gets a 2-1 win there. And that match was notable because it was the first match at the new Timbers Stadium. Then Los Dos and Tacoma tie 2-2. Los Dos, two late goals to equalize there. Uh, 87th and 90th minute. They've been the cardiac kids. They have specialized in these late draws. Uh, any thoughts on those matches? Yeah, I, I mean, Los Dos especially. I think they're a team that they've definitely surprised me this season. And as you said, the cardiac kids, and that's going to be something that, you know, from a rising perspective, we really want to watch out for. Because in the past, you know, even this season, the Colorado Springs match, we've been prone to those lapses late in the match. And, you know, when we play Los 
those who are definitely going to want to be wary of, you know, late in the match, them uh, catching us out. But, I mean, to, to go back to Fresno, just huge results. I had my eyes on both of those matches, just knowing that Fresno was right below us in the standings. And, you know, to see them play the two teams in the bottom of the table and only grab one point, um, I think that shows that, you know, maybe they're having a little bit of troubles in Fresno right now. And, it, you know, Rising's got to do whatever they can to distance themselves from every single team. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it's hugely helpful, but it also gives the feeling that, granted, it's the beginning of June, there's still a lot of hugely important soccer to play, but it almost has the feeling like we're already looking forward to the playoffs and we're looking forward to New Mexico. And it just feels like destiny that we're going to play New Mexico in the playoffs, hopefully the conference finals, um, and it's going to be us versus New Mexico for top of the West, for you know the USL crown for the Four Corners Cup. There is that feeling of inevitability now that we're starting to put things together. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think all of us can can say that we have that image in our brains now. But I mean, it's still very early on. You know, we're still in June, the season. You know, we don't get playoffs till mid-October, so we still have a long, long way to go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, results have been going our way. We, we've had strokes of luck recently. It seems like everything's, you know, just coming up positive for us, and we just need to continue this run, and that's going to start with Tulsa. Right. And the reason I bring up New Mexico is because last weekend they had a great 3-1 win in Austin. Santee Moore with two huge second-half goals to propel them to the win, including a screamer of a free kick. So, I mean, New Mexico just keeps doing what they're doing. And this is a decent Austin team, too. You know, yesterday, as we mentioned before, down 2-0 on the road, and they come back to beat Tulsa 3-2. Tier pack with a hat trick for them. They're in the top 10 as well, and they're exceeding a lot of expectations out west. Um, let's see some other scores we haven't mentioned. Orange County gets a 2-1 win over RGV. They were hanging on for dear life in this match. They get two early goals from Michael Seaton and Darwin Jones to be up 2-0. RGV pulls one back, and then two red cards for Orange County late in this match. Quinn in the 67th minute, and then Darwin Jones in stoppage time, but they somehow hold on. 2-1, I mean, I didn't see that, but, I mean, just being a goal up like that, having to, to defend with a man down, that must have been, and then two men down at the very end. There must have been nerve-wracking stuff. Yeah, no, I, I didn't see the end of it. Um, I do I do believe the RGV goal, though, was a really nice goal. I think it was Coronado who ends up scoring it for him. I saw that on the, on the USL Instagram. But, no, I mean, it, it had to be nervy. And, and the one thing that I'll say that sticks out to me is, oh, see, it seems like they're getting a lot of these 2-1 close results. So, you know, it's it seems like they're definitely, you know, in there in most matches, but they're still uh, very evenly matched with a lot of these teams they're playing. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they can keep this run of form because I mean they've you know they've been able to get the matches when they've needed them. So it's a uh, it's been keeping them in contention. I feel like. Well, they've they've also had a lot of draws, like two two draws, um, including a pretty tough one at Los Dos the last week where they really should have won that match. Um, speaking of Los Dos, they have a nil nil draw away to OKC yesterday, and that's got to be a frustrating result for OKC. Here's a question. 
Is OKC the worst decent team in USL? I mean, that's that's really tough because they might. They're just they're a mixed bag. You never know what you're gonna get. I feel like with OKC, because you know they can go out and and you know get a huge result in Open Cup against Tampa, and then yeah, as you said, a nil nil against Los Dos. When really, I mean. Los Dos, they are a playoff contending team. It'd be much better than the Los Dos of past, but it's OKC. They're just, it just seems like their consistency is is just really what kills them, or inconsistency, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the term "bad good team," where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, where like they look good but they're not actually good. They're like the Titans of USL. Like they always end up with a slightly above average record but they're not good anyone who watches them is like they're not that good but yet here they are um and you look at the stats of most of their matches and they're getting out shot they're getting out possessed um you know even against colorado springs at home they win one nil and colorado springs had more shots and shots on goal in that match but yet they just seem to find a way every single time um a, a match that you know, is a result that I'm pretty impressed with. El Paso gets a 2-1 win, and granted it's at Tacoma, but still, the match is 1-1. Calvin Resende gets the winner for El Paso, and that's, you know, four points on the road at Timbers 2 and at Tacoma. That's a very long away trip for them, and they get two great results. I mean, a 1-1 draw at Timbers 2 is a solid result for them, and as a result, they're on 20 points with us. El Paso might be the biggest overachievers in the USL Western Conference because at least Timbers 2, I think most people had them in the playoffs. They had a pretty successful season last year. El Paso, if you go back and you listen to the USL show and the uh, USL draft, I mean, people thought they were going to be flaming hot garbage. They were drafted in like the last eight teams of that draft. There were no expectations, which I always thought was unfair because, you know, they brought in some interesting pieces. The Western Conference, there's going to be a lot of parity. And even the early season results, they had a lot of possession like us, even if they didn't have the scores to show for it. Now they're starting to come on strong. Only two losses this season. You know, I think this is a time where you should tip your cap a little bit to El Paso. And at the same time, our win at El Paso looks that much better. Granted, it was not the aesthetically pleasing match. But it was still a, a clean sheet and a win, and that looks pretty good right about now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to say that, that both of those games on that Texas road trip, the El Paso win and even the Austin loss, I don't think it looks as bad as it did at, the, at that time. Um, but El Paso, I mean, yeah, absolutely overachieving. And, you know, just to, to see where they're at right now with only two losses – 12 games into the season. I mean, it's, it's very positive for them, and they've definitely, you know, taken a lot of us by surprise, uh, me especially. I mean, I, I just I did not foresee them, you know, contending with the rest of the West and the USL, but they're doing just that. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Kind of a weird winning goal, too, like a, a cross that got knocked into the ground but bounced perfectly for Resende to get the winner. Um, rounding out the Western Conference scores... We have a 2-1 win for Sac Republic over San Antonio. Um, the scoreline a little bit um, 
I mean, it's just a weird match, you know, not too much going on, similar to our match in Sacramento. But an own goal gives Sacramento the lead. They add another one in the 83rd minute. San Antonio scores in stoppage time, but it's not enough. And, you know, these are two teams that are massively underachieving. San Antonio now is in 16th place in the West, you know, not far from the bottom, especially now that um, Colorado Springs got a win. So it's just, it's stunning to see how bad they've been. But, you know, it's something for Sacramento. It's, they're not a great team either, but it's something. And then the match that everyone saw coming, still objectively hilarious. Reno 4, Vegas nil. Corey Herzog opened it up, and then three goals in the second half. And the third goal for Reno, Roll Mendiola dribbles the ball from midfield, and no one steps up on him, and he's able to blast it in. I know Electric Company was saying, oh, we don't want to travel because Reno stinks. I think they just knew they were going to get their butts handed to them, and they did not want to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think they learned their lesson in Phoenix that, uh, you know... <laughs> And they're a very difficult team to travel and support. I mean, and it, and it was just, it was so one-sided. I mean, this is as one-sided as a rivalry match gets. And, uh, you know, it, it was unfortunate. I personally was pushing for Vegas to uh, to at least get a draw to keep Reno off of our tails. But, you know, it's uh, that's the nature of the beast. And it, it just seems like Las Vegas, it, I mean, it's just, they're night and day home and away i mean it's just it's like a completely different team i mean you could say that uh when they get home they flip on the light switch i guess i don't know it's just something's off the lights were out in reno (laughs) yeah yeah i mean they need to call the electric company and pay the power bill apparently because it's 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 just been it's been brutal for them and i mean i really i personally you know had some high you know, hopes for them with Eric Winalda coming in. You know, he's he is a solid coach. I think he has some very good ideas about how soccer should be played. I think it's just going to take more time than what everyone expected for him to, uh, you know, his stamp on this team. I mean, they might be good enough at home to sneak into the playoffs. They do have two home matches coming up, but I'm in a big one against Orange County this upcoming weekend. I'll be pulling for them in that match, but yeah, it's a. Uh... <laughs> No loose, all fuerza on Saturday or on Wednesday. Shout out to Orange County FC for an amazing cup set, becoming the last amateur team standing. They'll take the 25K that comes with it with a great 5-3 win in Vegas. So, you know, a tough, tough week for Vegas. You know, those two matches and conceding five goals in two matches. I mean, yikes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, as you said, very, very tough. They'll just they'll want to press the reset button and, you know, just start from scratch, it seems like. It'll be good that they have home matches, you know, that that should bode well for them. I think that, you know, they could probably get back up above the playoff line if, uh, you know, results go their way. And um, I know we didn't talk about it at all, and it's it's not really something that matters too much to us because we're already out of Open Cup, but... Any thoughts on Open Cup? Do you see any uh, potential upsets in the fourth round uh, of SL sides? Yeah, I mean, I have to think that New Mexico is able to uh, take down Colorado Rapids. Um, you know, just like we talked about, they, they've done everything right, and Colorado is a team that seems like they're doing everything wrong. 
I know they've had a few big results, but I, I still think that New Mexico is able to go up there and make it a, a, a tough match. I'll also look for that, you know, the OCFC and the LA match, the Galaxy match. That's, you know, that's awesome that we're able to have an amateur team playing, you know, an MLS side. I think that's so, I mean, it's just unheard of in other sports. So to, to have that, I think that's going to be, you know, great to see. But, I mean, I really I'm just, you know, still hurting over Phoenix because you just, you look at the path that Phoenix could have had and, and you know, it, it, you just, you want to say it should have been us who's going to be playing Colorado Rapids and could even beat an MLS team because I think New Mexico has a great chance to win that game. So, no, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's fun to watch the Open Cup, but I'm still, you know, really disappointed that we didn't have any of the, any of the impact that I wanted us to in it. For sure. Um, and a couple other notes, you know, just matches that I would keep my eye on. I think St. Louis hosting Chicago is going to be a great match. A rivalry between those cities already exists, and so that'll be fun. Chicago Fire is not a great team. I think Sacramento has a shot, a puncher's chance against San Jose. It hasn't been an incredible season for Sacramento, but San Jose won't. They don't set the world on fire. Um, Wando isn't going to play for them in that match because it's Open Cup. So they could they could do it. They could hang around, maybe pull one off. It is in San Jose, but I think even on the road, Sacramento has a puncher's chance there. And then, yeah, I think I think New Mexico is one to keep your eye out for. And then I would also say, you know, just an outside chance. Oh, I mean, FCC Lou City is going to be awesome. Unfortunately, that's in Cincy, but I mean, the way Cincy's playing, they're, they could be beaten. And uh, Dynamo Austin Bold, I think if Bold goes back to that super defensive style and Dynamo's sitting a bunch of guys or playing a largely RGV lineup... Maybe you can see something there. Yeah, and I mean, right now I'm I'm all USL. I mean, I will firmly say that I'm rooting for for every USL club now that Orange County SC is out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I would love to see a cup set in every single one of these games. It, you know, it, it's a bummer for me that, you know, a lot of these MLS teams end up hosting. I think it's, it's so much more fun when you have these pro sides playing, you know, in the small Division Two or even Division Three or amateur atmosphere. But it is it is what it is. But it really, yeah, I mean, these, these cup games are good regional matchups. And, yeah, I'd love to see, you know, good, hearty upsets. I think that always just makes it more entertaining for the casual fan. You know, one one good case where it should be fun and a USL side is hosting, you know, Memphis hosting Orlando. That could be yeah. a good match, too. I'll, I'll have an eye on that. Yeah, I, I really will look to Memphis to, you know, bring a really good atmosphere that night and to, uh, yeah, hopefully be able to, you know, be in the match and at least contend with those, with Orange uh, Orlando City. I, I really, I think that, you know, it's this is the magic of the the cup and it's something that we don't get to see enough of and unfortunately in phoenix you know we haven't seen enough in a while but i think it's something that we can still be positive about and just hope for for the future for sure um well let's let's wrap this thing up do you have any final thoughts no man i mean i i, I talked about it this last weekend was was weird not having a match to go to or rising to watch so i'm i'm just ready for friday you know Let's get through this week and get to Dollar Beer Night and have some fun. Right on. 
Um, that's that's pretty much what I got too. We should have a fun home match this week. It's Dollar Beer Night, so undefeated, never lose. Tulsa's coming to town. Should be a pretty solid win with goals. So let's get it. And then we're going to get into some really fun matches later this month. So in the meantime, I think that's all we got this week. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm all good. Just ready to see everyone on Friday. Be with all my best friends. Yep. All right, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, as always, uprising. Uprising. Uprising.